And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. And we are, we're in week two of Hebrews chapter 11, and I think it's week 21 in the, in the book of Hebrews. And I make no apologies for that, because the book of Hebrews is rich. And in Hebrews chapter 11, I told you last week, you know, we could fly through Hebrews chapter 11, or we could slow way down as one Puritan did, preaching 65 sermons in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Instead, we're going to take it in the pieces that it's given to us, character by character, episode by episode, not assuming that you know the characters already or the stories already. We'll take them as they come in bite-sized pieces. We'll chew on that for a week, and then we'll move ahead. It looks to me that it'll take about 10 weeks to work through Hebrews chapter 11. And when I say that, I hope that you're, you're not one to say, oh, no, 10 weeks in chapter 11. Instead, I would hope you would say, oh, boy, we get to find out these characters, these stories and episodes of faith and try to apply them to ourselves and our own need to hear them. So a series within a series, Hebrews chapter 11, and, and we could call this by faith, Old Testament characters who persevered in faithfulness. That's the reason the author is giving it to us. That's the theme of his whole letter of Hebrews, is to equip these saints to persevere, that they would not give up their hope in Jesus, no matter how hard things get. No matter what persecution comes, he wants them to hold fast in their faith in Jesus and not let go. Otherwise, they would lose all hope, he has said in previous chapters. And so we hear this message this morning with that in mind. He is telling us there's a long line of saints before us, believers before us, who held fast to Jesus. And now we must do the same as we have our turn of suffering and persecution and hardship and disappointment in life. It is now our turn to be the saints in our era who hold fast to our profession. That is the context of Hebrews and of chapter 11. And this morning, before we jump into Hebrews 11, I'm going to tell you there are three characters in our passage. Cain... Abel and Enoch. Those are the three characters. One is a negative story. Two are positive stories. There are two subjects in the passage from Hebrews 11 that we're going to hear this morning. And those subjects are worship and living life. And I hope that you sense the relevance for you as a human person. And then the goal of everything that he is going to say in these few verses, the goal is faithfulness. Your faithfulness, my faithfulness, our faithfulness as the people of God. Three characters, two subjects, one goal. Give your attention to Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to go back to verse 1 where we started last week, and we'll hear it in its context. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. 
By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Not a lot of verses there, but a lot of information. Let's pray that God would help us understand it. Lord, this morning, through your word and by your spirit, would you teach us what we need to know about ourselves and our sin? And Lord, would you show us our desperate need for faith and how it is a gift of your grace given to your church? We ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I, um, I realize we're still getting to know each other. At the end of the month, we will celebrate three years uh, since I was called to serve as pastor at Greenwood Presbyterian Church. What a fast three years that was. Here's something you may not know about me. <clears throat> I, um, I don't like family reunions very much. I... Uh, I'm kind of bored by family trees. And I come from a family that loves family trees and family reunions. I just don't have that DNA, that instinct in me that just loves that stuff. And some of you do. Um, some of you are all over Ancestry.com and finding out, you know, where did we come from? Who were our people? That scares me to death. I don't think I want to ask too many questions about who I am and where I came from. That's just me, and I'm sorry. Some of you are disappointed. You wanted me to be all into ancestry stuff. I'm just not. Um, others in my family love it. They just love it. My dad loved it, absolutely loved it. Just rolls right over me, just don't have interest. Um, an awkward moment probably eight years ago was when I, I had to attend one of these family reunions and they voted um, for who would, who would host the next one. And they voted for me. <laughs> and I stood up and I said, I, 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 don't, I really don't want to do this. But they made me do it. But in God's kind providence, um, it was due the year that COVID shut everything down. <laughs> and we have not had any more discussions about a reunion. Um, anyway, I, I digress from my point. I, I'm not into the, to the human family trees and all that. I'm just not interested. But this morning, we're talking family ancestry and family tree issues spiritually. 
And I'm actually very interested in this. Um, I've really enjoyed studying this this week, and I hope that you'll, you'll benefit from some of the things I've benefited from. This is our spiritual DNA that we're going to discuss. These are our spiritual ancestors, and this is critically important to our understanding who we are. And a lot of that news is very bad news as we get into it about who we are. This is spiritual information about our DNA It is our understanding of the ruin of sin and what it has done to humanity, what it has done to me, why my heart is the way that it is. We're going to see what God's Word says about what's true of all of us as it's evidenced in the children of Adam and Eve, our first parents. Okay, Uh, Our sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Another side story before we jump in. Um, I've I've done a premarital counseling exercise with some couples in the past, Um, and it ties into this theme of of our sermon this morning. But I asked both the the him and the her to, uh, to write me a paper. Each of you write me a paper in premarital counseling titled this. O son of Adam... O daughter of Eve, why do you wish to marry? Now, if you're thinking theologically, you'll see that's actually a great question to get people to think through before they marry. Because they, if they think, oh, because this is going to be awesome and easy, they don't understand Adam and Eve as their parents and the sin that is in their own hearts, which is going to make everything about them difficult and their, ma- their marriage challenging. So, O oh, son of Adam, O oh, daughter of Eve, why do you wish to marry each other? Do you know what you're getting into? It's a good thing for us to think through as well. There are real consequences to our spiritual DNA. There's a lot of anthropology, a lot of theology to be had in what we're going to hear this morning in our passage. Three characters, Cain, Abel, and then very briefly, something about Enoch. And so our first point this morning to consider is Cain, a lesson in unacceptable worship to the Lord. What makes our worship unacceptable to the Lord? Now, interestingly about Cain, Abel, and Enoch, we really don't know a whole lot. We only know what's in a few verses told to us. But it is amazing how much we learn from very few verses. You heard in Hebrews, uh, starting in verse 4, commentary about Cain and Abel, and then a little bit about Enoch. But to understand the context, since in Hebrews we're going to go back and capture these episodes and, and understand what the author assumes that his hearers know, listen to Genesis chapter 4. Verses 1 through 8, as it relates to Cain and Abel and their worship. Now, Adam, the first man, knew Eve, his wife. Just to be clear, that is a statement of human sexuality between a man and his wife. It means that they came together as only a man and his wife should. And it says, she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. 
And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Just eight verses, but an amazing amount of information that we have regarding Cain, Abel, and the Lord. Trying to address that swiftly this morning, but to wring out much of the meaning that I think is there. We learned these things. Now, I do not have these up on your slide because it is too many things. I do have handouts that you can grab on the way out of the sanctuary if you did not get them, or I can supply you with one later. But here's what we learn of Cain from the passages that we've read. He is the firstborn son to Adam and to Eve. More than that, he's the first child born ever, which is pretty amazing to think about. Childbirth has now been experienced by Eve, the first woman created, and now she's had a child. Pretty amazing. And she says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Behold, I've gotten a man. Now, there's been much written about this. And essentially, the question is, well, what does she think she got? What is she excited about? Well, it's the first child, right? But remember, there had been a promise in Genesis 3 that from Eve, from her seed, her offspring would come the Messiah. And so some think there is this hopeful expectation in her that she has given birth to the one who will crush the head of the serpent. And behold, I've gotten the man. I've gotten the Lord, is what some think is being said there. Would he be the Messiah? Would he be the crusher of the serpent's head? More is said about Cain. Of course, time is zipped through here in the course of his life. And it says he's a worker of the ground. He's a worker of the soil. That is to say, he's, he's a farmer. He is born with gifts in agriculture. That's what he's inclined towards. That's, that's what he does. He works with his hands and works in the soil and he grows stuff. And then it says over the course of time, he brought a sacrifice to the Lord, an act of worship. He brought an offering to the Lord, and he brought an offering from the ground. He was a farmer, so he brought to the Lord what his hands could produce. Whether that was grain or vegetable or fruit, 
We're not told exactly, but it came from the ground and it came from his labor. But regarding that offering, regarding Cain and his offering, we are told these shocking words that neither he nor his offering were commendable, that they were not accepted. In fact, we're told they were rejected. And the author of Hebrews says that his offering was lesser than Abel's offering. There was no regard for his offering. This is a lesson in the negative, and we're going to get into the negative and why it's negative in just a moment. But regarding Cain and his heart, more is said. We learn a little bit more. Cain's response to this act of worship not being accepted and being rejected is it says that Cain and his heart grew very angry. It says that his face is downcast and his heart is jealous. He's an angry, downcast, and jealous first child in the earth. But the Lord, the story continues, the Lord intervenes into the life of Cain and he comes with a powerful question. Interestingly, he did the same thing with Cain's father, Adam. Do you remember that the Lord approached Adam with a question? Where are you? As if the Lord didn't know. Where are you in the garden? And now he asks Cain a question. He probes Cain. He intervenes with a powerful question. And the question is, why are you angry? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Won't you be accepted? So the Lord, this is just interesting to think about, the Lord invades our lives sometimes with questions, probing our hearts, getting to the core of the issue. Why is it that you're angry? Have you considered why you're so angry? And we learn in this story and all the others that the Lord sees everything. The Lord searches the heart, we're told in the Psalms. And the Lord always calls for faith and for repentance. And through these questions, Cain was given the opportunity to do what was right, he said. But Cain resisted. Cain didn't do it. Cain did not change his behavior. He maintained his anger, his jealousy, and his downcast face. And so the Lord warns Cain, sin is crouching at your door, which the imagery in my mind has always been, you know, coming out of your door first thing in the morning. You're not expecting something to pounce you. But sin is crouching at the door, waiting to surprise you, waiting to dominate you, waiting to get hold of you. Almost like if you watch Discovery Channel or Animal Planet, you know, watch when big cats attack or when sharks attack. And you see there's always this innocent seeming prey that didn't see what was coming, didn't know the crocodile was going to come up out of the river and, you know... The poor little wildebeest was just going to get a sip of water and just sin is crouching at the door ready to pounce on you. If you have anger in your heart, jealousy in your heart, the Lord says, be warned. You must rule over it. Don't be dominated by those emotions. But Cain would have nothing to do with it. 
And the story goes on and says that Cain took his brother Abel to the field. Now remember, he was a farmer. He took him to his workplace and he murdered him. Fratricide. Brother killing brother. And this is just grievous. I mean, it's hard to read this with the sense of shock and awe that we should have because we're so familiar with the story. But part of the shock is this. Eve wonders if she's given birth to the Messiah. Have, have I given birth to the one who will crush the head of the serpent? And the answer is this shocking, no. I've given birth, my own flesh and blood, to one who will crush the head of his brother. He's not the crusher of the head of the serpent as we had hoped for. He's the crusher of his own brother's head. And that should, that should jolt us. This is not how things are supposed to be. This is not paradise. Something has gone very wrong. And interestingly to think about, if you think about Cain and how sin has invaded the spheres of his life, just in those few verses, we're told that sin has invaded the home, brother turning on brother with anger and jealousy. Sin has invaded the place of worship. His worship is rejected. And sin has invaded the workplace. He took his brother out into the field to kill him. And sin in his life and in ours, is it not the same? Sin invades and it wants to dominate the home and the relationships in the home. Sin will come into the church and turn brother against brother, sister against sister, and corrupt our worship. And we take sin with us to the workplace. We take sin with us to the YMCA. The gym would be included here if it had existed at the time. We take sin everywhere. And sin is this, or this, this story is a picture of how sin has pervaded through that first child. It took no time whatsoever. That's the condition of humanity. That's why in Genesis 6, 5 and 6, it says that the Lord looked down from heaven at his creation and saw that everything was, was only evil all the time. Absolute corruption in the hearts of men and women. Sons of Adam... Daughters of Eve. That is who they were. That is who we are. And you see this is all going in a direction. Now we come to Abel, the younger brother. And this would be a lesson in acceptable worship to the Lord. We've heard from Hebrews 11 what was said. We've heard from Genesis 4, but since it's been a minute... Listen to Hebrews 11, verse 4 and verse 6 as a refresher for the little bit, the snippet that he says about Abel. He says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And then in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So Abel, a lesson in acceptable worship to the Lord. Here is what in those few verses from Genesis we're told about Abel. He's the second born son to Adam and Eve. And have you ever heard this? This was new to me this week. 
Many think, based on the way the Hebrew is written, and I'm going to take their word for it, that Cain and Abel were twins. Did you know that? Have you ever heard that? I don't remember hearing that. John Calvin thought that. I read what he said about it. I read what a Hebrew scholar says about it. They think that the way that it's worded here versus other places where children are born through the course of time, they think that they may be twins. Now, it doesn't matter to the purpose of the story whether or not they were twins. Fratricide is fratricide. Murder is murder. The point is the same. But it does sting a little bit in a different way if, if they're twin brothers who have turned on each other. But the point is the same. The conclusion is the same. And of Abel, it says that he, unlike his brother, is a keeper of sheep. Cain was a worker of the ground. Abel is the keeper of sheep. He is gift-inclined, oriented towards the keeping of livestock, of animals, of sheep. He is a shepherd. That's what he is. He's a shepherd. Then the story goes on and says that Abel brought an offering to the Lord, and it was the firstborn of the flock, and he included the fat portions. Now, those of you who are carnivorous as I am, you understand that's the good stuff. Crispy, salty fat. He didn't withhold that. He brought it to the Lord. The part that, that catches fire and flames up. The part that smells so good. He brought the best of the best. And he's going to be praised for it. The next thing is it says, The Lord highly regarded Abel's offering. He accepted it. He received it. Unlike the offering of Cain. And the author of Hebrews, these years later, will say he is commended for his worship. It is commendable. Two acts of worship, two offerings that are, have totally different outcomes. And my question for you this morning is why? What in the world is going on here? That one act of worship is rejected and one act of worship is accepted. There are two things that caught my interest this week. And the first is the most obvious because it's the clear point of the author of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews distinguishes between Abe's, excuse me, Abel's and Cain's worship that the difference was that one was what? By faith. One was by faith. But is there more here to understand? Is there more here that is implied that would be understood by these people that maybe goes right by us? I think there is. There's more to learn here about worship and sacrifice, particularly as you've heard this author of Hebrews for 10 chapters highlight the priesthood, the bloodshed, the sacrifice, and that there is one way to approach God. So this is what I want us to get our arms around and, and talk about over lunch today. Prior to this event, not a whole lot of world history between humans, right? There's been Adam and Eve. This is their firstborn. These are their firstborn sons. Well, what has happened prior to these sacrifices? Well, there was a, a sacrifice prior to this that we know about. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, the Lord provided skin to cover them. Animal skin. Animal skin that would have been the first sacrifice. The shedding of blood 
to cover the nakedness and the sinfulness of man. So prior to this act of Cain and Abel's sacrifice, there had been one. And there was bloodshed involved. Now what do we know that comes after Cain and Abel's sacrifice? Well, an entire meticulous Levitical sacrificial system that highlights what? The necessity of bloodshed. That when sinners are present in the presence of a holy God, blood must be shed. Somebody's blood has got to be shed. Blood before, blood after, then one of the two offerings is received and one is rejected. What is the difference of the two offerings? Well, clearly faith. But secondly, blood. The absence of blood. We learn in that Levitical system, fleshed out in great detail, that sin required bloodshed. Surely Adam spoke to his sons, taught them, shared with them the experience of what happened with their sin in the garden and that they had to be covered by the Lord's provision of a sacrifice. And as these two come to worship the Lord, we are not told that they were given instruction, but every commentator I read this week said it's evident they had been given instruction because the Lord holds Cain and disregards his worship because he didn't obey. He didn't do what was right. He knew better. He should have known better is the implication of the text. And so put it all together and here's what we have. If you're falling asleep, wake up right now. Cain, in his act of worship, came to God on his own terms with the fruit of his own hands by working the ground. Without a proper sin covering, no blood, no life, no blood. And Hebrews says he came without faith, all of which is unacceptable to God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Apart from the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Abel, on the other hand, he came to the Lord God on the Lord's terms with a proper sin offering of blood. And according to Hebrews 11, with faith in the Lord, all of which makes him acceptable to God. Cain, for whatever reason, thought the fruit of my hands will do. I'm going to give a sacrifice? Okay. I'll throw this together. And the Lord can have my worship on my terms. It would be harder for him to bring a blood sacrifice. But was it possible for him to, to bring a blood sacrifice? Absolutely. Probably what really lies at the heart of all of this is that Cain, in order to offer the acceptable worship to Yahweh, he would have needed to take that grain, to take that fruit of his hands, and to go to his little brother and to barter or purchase, to work out an arrangement, to trade the fruit of his hands, his grain, for what his little brother had, which was a lamb, something to sacrifice. 
That's what Cain needed to do to offer a blood sacrifice to the Lord. But the older brother was not willing to do it. He would not go to younger brother and do what the Lord would have him do. He was angry. He was jealous. He was faithless. He was prideful. And he would have nothing to do with what was required of him. That seems to be the spirit in which Cain has been described. You cannot come into the presence of the holiness of God without confessing your sin. Now in that Levitical system to come, are there not grain offerings? Yes. But they never precede blood offerings. Blood offering for sin first and foremost. Then on top of that, superfluous to that, you can have a fellowship offering. You can have a peace offering. You can have a grain offering. But not in the place of blood. Never in the place of blood. Blood first for sin. And then any other gravy on top that you would like to offer out of your bounty as an offering to the Lord. Cain got it backwards. Cain didn't confess his sin. Cain, Cain came with the fruit of his hands. This is who I am. This is what I do. And there are huge implications here for us and how we approach the Lord in worship. How crazy would it be to you if in our worship suddenly we did not have a confession of sin? If we just came in and just sang to the Lord and we didn't confess our sin? That would not be helpful to the people's understanding of who we are with Adam and Eve as our parents. We need to understand we confess our sins when we come into the presence of a holy God. We have to. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Right? Or, along that line, how backwards would it seem to you? Oh, it would be wicked. If we had an offering followed by an assurance of pardon, where you thought by giving money you were winning the assurance of God's forgiveness. Do you see how backwards that is to the gospel story, to what God has communicated? You see, we have a confession of sin in our service followed by an assurance of pardon that those who confess their sins, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive their sins and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Then later... We have this offering of ourselves and the giving of tithes and offerings. You see, the order matters. Otherwise, you get the gospel backwards and you're in Cain's shoes of thinking, well, I come to the Lord on my own terms. I give him what I want when I want him to have it. And the Lord says that, that worship is rejected. There's no blood. There's no covering. There's no pointing to Christ which is what all that bloodshed was about. Remember, not to re-preach the Sermon of Hebrews. It was all pointing to Jesus. Now we look back and see that Jesus' blood has been shed. But Cain got the order wrong. And he was too prideful to go take his grain and trade it to barter, to cooperate with his little brother. And now Abel is remembered. Though murdered, he is remembered. His blood still speaks because another blood was shed that his hope was in, his faith was in. So how about you? How about your heart? How about your heart towards worship and my heart 
towards worship. The sphere of home, the sphere of worship, the sphere at work. Are you willing to repent, to exercise faith, to cooperate with a brother and sister, to sacrifice your own prideful, stubborn, jealous heart because of the blood of Jesus that was sacrificed for sinners? See, Cain and Abel, they're just a few verses shared with us, but they say so much. And then lastly, and similarly, there's Enoch. Not much said about Enoch at all. The most is in Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 and 24. I'll read that for you. This is where we're given a fuller statement about Enoch. It says, when Enoch had lived 65 years... He became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God and then he was no more. Because God took him away. This is a mystery. I do not understand it. I simply know what the scriptures teach and how the author of Hebrews echoes that truth. That Enoch was a man who walked faithfully with the Lord all the days of his life. And somehow mysteriously he did not die. But he was taken to be in the presence of the Lord. We're We're told that happened with one other person in the scriptures, that being Elijah. Enoch, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. But I believe it's true. And he is highlighted and remembered by the author of Hebrews because he lived by faith. That's what's said. And remember, that's the author of Hebrews. That's his appeal. That's his call upon those people. And therefore, it's the call upon us. Don't understand it. But we're called to live by faith in everything, to walk with the Lord faithfully. Now, walk with, we use the same language, that means to live. His walk, his everyday life, he was faithful to the Lord. And it says, interestingly, that he had many sons and daughters, and he still walked faithfully with the Lord. Sons will drive you crazy. Daughters will drive you crazy. He still walked faithfully with the Lord. Many sons and daughters. Theologian Archie Moore says, that many sons, that many daughters, that many years, 365 years, he walked faithfully. He was known as being faithful to the Lord. That that baffles me. Enoch pleased God. And the key to what the author wants us to know is that all of our years are to be lived by faith. When we're young, when we're old, all of our years can be characterized by walking in faith. What does faith look like? Well, the Scriptures say it's necessary. Without faith, Hebrews 11 says it is impossible to please God. Galatians 5 says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Romans 14 says that everything that does not come from faith is sin. 
And 2 Corinthians 5 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith, Old Testament and New, it has always been central to the gospel story. Old Testament, this is not a brand new New Testament thing. This is Old Testament and New, continuity between all of the scriptures. Faith is necessary. I'll close with this story and these quotes. This is from uh, Dr. Rob Rayburn's sermon on this text. This, this speaks for itself. But what does such faith look like? This faith that we're called to have. What does it look like for us now? As we live out our lives. What does this faith look like? Now, this is sobering. But it's true and it's beautiful. About what real faith looks like. Samuel Rutherford. His first wife, Eupham, how would you like to have that for a name, ladies? Eupham. She died after suffering terribly through an entire year with a racking and painful disease. And as she is suffering, by faith, Samuel Rutherford says this. My wife's disease increases daily. She has great torment and pain day and night. She's not been in God's house since our last communion. And neither has she been out of her bed since then. Her hard disease is surely not ordinary. For her life has become bitter to her. She sleeps none. And she cries as a woman giving painful birth. And when his wife finally died, Rutherford's response to her death was this. The Lord has done this. All of this. Blessed be his name. That's faith. In the midst of suffering. That is real faith. Where he couldn't see the sense of the Lord taking his, his wife's life and doing it through torment, through suffering. At that moment, he couldn't feel the Lord's faithfulness to his wife in her pain. But he believed what God had said. Though he could not see it, he couldn't feel it, he couldn't hold it in his hand. Rutherford believed by faith, just as the author of Hebrews has defined it. We have hope and confidence in what we do not yet see or have in hand. And then Rayburn says this, Rutherford really was like Anne Bradstreet. She was a Puritan poet of the 1600s. As she saw her house with all of her beloved manuscripts burned to the ground in colonial New England, and she wrote this, And when I could no longer look at that burning house, I blessed his name, that gave and took, that laid my goods now in the dust. Yea, so it was, and so it was just. That's her summary of, my house just burned down with everything I've ever written and done. All of my possessions, it's all gone. Not happy about it. But the Lord did this. He's faithful. He's true. My trust is in Him. It's nowhere else. That is faith. By faith, there are a people in the earth who can believe. 
don't understand it. But that faith, as we have said in the past, it is not mustered up by us. We can't dig deep and find it. What does Ephesians 2 say? It's the gift of God. It's not by our works. No one can boast. But God supplies it. That's the good news. As we read these stories of faith, champions of faith, heroes of faith, heroines of faith, some have called it, but God is the author of such faith. And all you and I can do is ask for such faith. Let's pray for that. Lord, would you work in us a faith as, as rich and ready as, as what we've heard, that sin would not separate brother from brother, sister from sister, that sin would not love life on earth more than the promise of life to come, that sin would not love possessions and the fruit of our own hands more than coming into your presence by your means. Lord, work such a faith in us that your church would persist in the earth. That is our prayer. We ask it, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.